Hello, welcome everybody to this Wellness Life podcast. My name is Meredith Leo DeJano. I work at McGraw Hill on the Health and Human Performance Team. And today we have a special guest, Michael Teague. Hi, Michael. Hello, Meredith. He is the Professor Emeritus at uh, the University of Iowa and also one of our authors on Your Health Today. So very excited for you to join us once again. Uh, Thank you. It's good to visit with you again. Fantastic. So today we're going to be talking about injury. And so one of the topics that actually is in the new edition of Your Health Today is Chapter 16. And we wanted to just simply ask you about the foundation of that chapter and talk about injury and violence. In the uh, 1990s, there used to be brief uh, or big books uh, that are associated with personal health books. Uh, The reason why they went to a brief book was because of cost to college students. So when uh, when it changed from a big book to a brief book, there were a couple of chapters that needed to be jettisoned and a couple that needed to be collapsed. Uh, Typically, uh, what we did and what I think many other authors did is they uh, deleted a chapter on environment and a chapter on complementary health. Now, I want to add uh, for those that use uh, your health today that the environment chapter and the complementary chapter are available on Connect. Uh, so, collapsed chapters, uh, probably the primary chapter that was collapsed, are injury and violence, which used to be separate chapters. And that's a real task because each of them certainly have enough topics that would be addressed in separate chapters. So what we did was we used half the chapter to address injury, or what is referred to as unintentional injuries, and then the second one, intentional injuries, which is really violence. Uh, The key on this chapter is we focus primarily on those topics that are directly relevant to college students. That's super interesting. So I wanted to also ask you, under injury, you cover the con- uh, concussions, that topic in depth. What is TBI? Could you describe that for our audience? It's a traumatic brain injury associated with concussions. What actually happens is a TBI or a concussion can occur by a whiplash or a jolt uh, that's quite sudden. Uh, inside uh, the brain, there's a twisting or breaking of long and slender axons, and this causes the release of cascades of proteins and chemicals that damage brain cells. The brain will adapt, which takes time, by uh, developing new and workaround connections. Uh, Blood vessels around the surface of the brain also break. I think one of the um, main misunderstand points about concussions is it does not uh, take a uh, loss of consciousness for this degree and that of damage to the brain to occur. So what exactly happens to the brain from a TBI? Well, as as I'm mentioning, is that you have uh, proteins and chemicals that are released. They uh, actually are associated with with the breaking of blood vessels near the brain. Uh, This can result in that in confusion, amnesia, and even unconsciousness. Wow. So when physicians are kind of working on, you know, individuals with TBI, how are concussions graded by them? I think most of us at some point in time have been hit in the head, and we uh, certainly experience these symptoms of confusion, but most often not amnesia. So physicians grade the concussions on three levels. Grade one is where uh, concussion lasts, or the symptoms, confusion and, uh, and amnesia, last less than 15 minutes. 
Level two is when there's confusion and amnesia the last 15 or more minutes. And then level three is where there's a brief unconsciousness and a more serious form of amnesia. Now, when you look at those levels and that upgrades, uh, the symptoms that are associated with concussions can last weeks, they can last months, they can last years, and then before the brain actually recovers. Wow. So what do you think about second impact concussion? Can you describe that a bit for our audience as well? This is when an individual who has experienced a primary concussion returns to action too soon. The brain is not fully healed. Uh, what can occur here is, is a life-threatening condition as the brain swells. The actual kill rate uh, when you're seeing second impact concussions is about 128 out of 100,000 incidents. I want to emphasize here, however, on second impact, impact concussions, a lot of what we know about second impact concussions have not been confirmed. The theory about what happens is that the brain cells shut down. Uh, the individual who is experiencing this type of concussion is sensitive to noise and light, and the brain electrical system actually shuts down. To reopen, the brain has to develop new sodium channels. So this is the key point, is that an individual who has experienced a primary concussion needs to make sure that they have fully recovered before returning to activity. Otherwise, they're vulnerable to a second impact concussion, which can be deadly. Wow, that is very serious. And thinking about sports and recreation activities, what are special concerns for youth concussions? We divide uh, sport and recreation activities into what we call collision and what we call contact. An example of collision is football. Uh, an example in that of a contact sport would be basketball. Now, there's a different risk based upon uh, sports and recreation activities uh, for males and females. For males, the most common uh, form of concern is football, bicycling, and soccer. Now, the reason for soccer is because of the heading of the ball uh, during the activity. For females, it includes soccer and, like men, bicycling, basketball, and a lot of people are surprised volleyball is also has a, uh, a higher level than that of concussion activity. But the point here is that there is collision and contact sports are all at risk for concussions taking place. The other point to emphasize is that the brain has not developed fully until age 25. This is a subject we also address in the chapter on alcohol. I'd say there's even a third point to emphasize that even one season of football, for example, we think about Friday Night Tikes, then you have a new program on uh, television called National Liberty, where you have kids at very tender ages participating in collision football. And what's been found is that even one season of a collision sport like football can place individuals at future risk of brain damage. This is why the sport institutes and associations have suggested that there should be no football or collision-type sports until an individual enters their sophomore year or freshman year in high school. Yeah, so that is very, very concerning for a lot of different, you know, parents and kids of, you know, the age where these sports are taking place. So now that we know that these concussions can occur, what do you um suggest that we all look out for in terms of symptoms for concussions? The typical symptoms associated uh, with concussions include confusion, disorientation, memory loss, headaches, 
sensitivity to light and noise. We should note that in terms of sensitivity to light and noise, that tends to occur in very serious concussions, nausea, vision problems, irritability, sleep problems, and even personality changes, for example, mood disorders. So it's a host of symptoms uh, that an individual needs to uh, keep in mind. So that is really helpful to know. And switching gears just a little bit, you hear a lot about CTE and concussions in the news. Why do you think that is? Well, that's chronic traumatic encephalopathy. In that. And the reason is because there are a number of very serious health conditions associated with CTE, which is damage uh, in the brains, in the brain. Uh, for example, you hear about suicide of NFL players, but we've also seen suicide occur among college athletes and even among high school athletes that have been associated with CTE. Uh, this is actually diagnosed in that by an autopsy in that of the brain after the individual obviously has passed. But other than suicide, there's also early age onset uh, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Uh, known as ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease. So when we see these uh, hosts of diseases that are associated with uh, CTE, they tend to occur later in life from individuals who have experienced brain damage in that from collision sports. That is really interesting and something we should all be aware of for sure. Um, so how are concussions typically treated? Well, the main thing is rest in that uh, it's strongly advised that after a concussion occurred that an individual should rest for at least two days um, and not return to the activity. Uh, some will say five days. Uh, an interesting part of this is that individuals that tend to rest only two days and not five days tend to fare better than those that have rested five days in terms of long-term consequences associated with uh, concussions. And that leads down to that the second area is a physician clearance before an individual returns to a collision activity. You also find a lot of protocols. These are in-game protocols and post-game protocols. In in-game protocols, an individual who is experiencing concussion symptoms should not be returned to activity. In post-game, those go back to the symptoms we were discussing earlier. If they have not been relieved, they become more severe uh, then the individual would not be returned to an activity until a physician clearance uh, took place. There are also rule changes uh, that have happened in collision sport. For example, in football, you hear a lot about the targeting rule, which is head-to-head -head contact. The elimination of kickoffs, kickoffs has been proposed, but what actually they did is they moved up the kickoff yard line, so most of the kicks would go uh, out of the end zone so there would not be a return. Uh, there are also limitations um, or by rules in youth sports, for example, in pop corner football. They limit the amount of actual contact that can occur during football practice. So to summarize, what you see is that it's rest, physician clearance, and then there are protocols uh, that take place both pre in that and post in that uh, concussion activities. And there are key or significant rule changes in sports. Wow, I just learned a ton. Thank you. Okay. What summary points do you have about concussions for our audience that we could all be aware of? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because there's a lot we could talk about or discuss under, under concussions. Well, one would be the NFL impact study. Now, that's important um, because the National Football League was accused in that of covering up concussions and their consequences 
uh, that they've known about for decades in collision sports. Uh, what was found under the NFL impact uh, study, it's not just the significant of the G-force that occurs in a jolt and that or a, a violent hit, but it's a continuous exposure of hits in that to the frontal cortex. Uh, what that means is that individuals who are participating in, in um, collision sports or recreation activities at a very young age, they're exposed to more repetitive hits in that to the forehead. And that that has also been associated with what we talked about as being CTE. So when you're in a developing age, let's say age uh, six, seven, and you're playing a collision sport, by the time you get to 18, 19, or 20, or if you are lucky or fortunate enough to get into the NFL, you're going to be experiencing even more in that repetitive hits and even more violent hits. But there's still a risk that occurred because you participated in a collision sport at a very young age. This is the, one of the primary reasons why parents are very concerned. Should they allow their kids to participate in any collision sport at a very young age? Because if they're exposed to repetitive hits and that to the forehead, it's going to increase the potential or the risk of CTE later in life. There's been a recent recommendation in that by the National Sport Institute and by a number of athletic associations to avoid all collision sports, particularly football, until and at the beginning of high school. And what we've seen is that as of late in participation levels, particularly football, there's been a significant decrease in kids participating in these sports. They've been going into more contact sports like soccer or other activities and not uh, participating in football. There's also been a redesign of the football helmet, in that, and there are other types of helmets used in different sports they can provide a significant reduction in risk. Uh, there's a return protocols that we discussed before about in-game and post-game and the importance of a physician clearance that once a person has experienced a concussion before the return. One of the interesting things that's occurred lately is the use of newly designed helmets that measure G-force impact. Now, most high schools, I'm not aware of any high school can afford it, but in the NFL and in some colleges and universities uh, who have football, that the helmet has been designed to actually measure the G-force. You have uh, trainer, athletic trainers and physicians who are monitoring individuals who have been exposed to high levels of G-force hits, and they're trying to determine at a certain G-force level has that person actually experienced a concussion. So as you can see, concussions have received tremendous attention here in the past decade. How to prevent them, how to treat them. Thank you so much for this exciting topic. I really think that our audience is going to really appreciate all of these points that you made about concussions, CTE. Um, I thank you so much for your time today, Michael. I'm glad to visit with you. Absolutely. And if you like this podcast, we appreciate that so much, but also if you have any topics that you'd like to explore in a future podcast as well, please write to us. We'd love to hear from you. Hope to hear from you soon, and join us next time. Thanks.